are cheering because they get a leave <laughs> and not hear me, but you are with me. Hey, I'm Jim Halstead with Go and Tell Ministries. Uh, I was here, I don't know, four or five months ago, and it's great to be back, and I really appreciate uh, Pastor Kevin. And, and again, Go and Tell Ministries, I've retired from the pastorate uh, a couple years ago. After 35 years, I've retired from a special education teaching job. I wrote and founded Go and Tell Ministries. I taught the workshop yesterday. We also have a video series I hope you guys will be using in the future to equip the church to share the gospel, and to make disciples. And in your uh, bulletin, you have a brochure, and I'll be in the back. If you'd like to get our newsletter, uh, I have a sign-up in the back. As, as I share all that, what we're going to be looking at uh, today, I'm going to be looking at glorifying God, John chapter 15. And when you begin to think of what is the purpose of life, and maybe you've... Uh, thought of that recently with the elections. One good thing about the elections is the commercials are over. <laughs> um, in America, people come up with a lot of different answers. What's the purpose of life? Many say family, or it's career, or it's money, or it's friendships, it's fun, it's activities. But if you really want to know what someone believes is a purpose in life, I just want to encourage you, don't, don't really necessarily listen to what they say, just watch what they do. If you look at people's, what they do with their time, what they do with their talent and treasure, you're going to see what they think is a purpose. And, you know, with that is Socrates once said, the unexamined life is not worth living. As you begin to examine your life, hopefully we'll see that the purpose of life is glorify God. But with that quote, I, I taught junior high uh, special ed several years ago, and I had a student by the name of Adam. I'm going to give the name Adam. It's not his name. Uh, he had emotional disability, and he was often verbally aggressive or physically aggressive. He got in trouble one day uh, in the hallway, was verbally aggressive. Another student, the principal sat him down and said, hey, you're going to get suspended for a day, and you're going to do this. I want you to think about what you've done. Do you have anything to say? And he looked at the principal, and he says, Socrates once said, unexamined life is not worth living. And the principal goes, where did you get that from? Well, Mr. H tells me to say that every day. <laughs> Next thing I knew, I was called to the principal's office and had to share about that. But as you begin to examine your life, what is your purpose? Or what is the chief end of man? Maybe you've heard that before. In the Westminster Catechism 400 years ago, it says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's to glorify God. And Jesus said it in another way. On the upper room discourse, after he had the Last Supper, Judas took off. He taught his disciples. The chief end of man is glorify God by what? By bearing much fruit and abiding in him. And that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to read from John chapter 15, if you have your Bible. And I want to read from verses 1 to 8. The word of the Lord says this. I am the true vine, and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, 
and so prove to be my disciples. Let me pray for blessing of God's word today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for our salvation in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit within us. And I ask, Father, now may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. What is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And, and we look at this text, there's, there's four points I want us to look at. And the first one is, is this. Jesus talks about bearing no fruit. Matter of fact, in this text, he goes this, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And in verse 6, it goes on to say, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burn. Is it possible that there's people that attend church that who've heard the word of God, maybe have been baptized, that they don't know him? Jesus says that's not possible, it's probable. Matter of fact, Matthew 7, he, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, winner the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Paul went on to say they claim to know God, but benign by their actions. Is it possible there are people who have been around Jesus, know about him, but they don't know him? Yes. You can be a branch in a tree, but you're not connected to that tree, not connected to the vine. Jesus talked about that in the parable of the sower. He talked about it in, in Matthew 33. He says, If anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand that the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown into the heart, this is what was sown along the path. It's amazing as you read through the scriptures, have you ever considered Judas? He heard every sermon. He saw every miracle. Judas, he performed miracles that is implied. But he didn't know him. Jesus. Matter of fact, he's talked about being the betrayer. A thief. Hmm. See, you can know a lot about him, but your actions are going to show if you know him. In the parable of sower, it's not only saying you could hear the word and the enemy will come and try and take it away, but it also goes on to say in the parable of the sower, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, it choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. You can hear the word. You can know about the word and be unfruitful. The desires for other things, trial or persecution, will show what you believe. You see, trials and persecution don't remove the faith that reveals your faith. <laughs> I was talking to a couple recently. I went and visited. They wanted me to visit, follow up. I haven't seen them for a while. And we're catching up. Uh, literally haven't seen them for three or four years. They have a child now. And they're doing well. He's, they're excited about their baby. They've kind of got new jobs. And we started talking. And, and I said, are you guys attending church anywhere? And, and they said, no, we, ha we haven't been for a long time. And so I looked at them, what we kind of taught yesterday. I said, can I ask you a spiritual question? They said, okay. I said, if you were to stand before God and say, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And I looked at the wife and 
She said, oh, you know, I've tried to be good. I've tried to be nice. I try and help people. And she's a sweetheart of a gal, young gal in her late 20s. I looked at the guy. How about you? And he goes, I probably shouldn't go to heaven. I don't think I deserve that. And, and I said, well, you know, let's look. And I looked at her. I said, let's look at God's command to see how we stand with it. I go, have you ever lied? And she goes, yes. What do you call someone who lies? A liar. Have you ever stolen? Yes. What do you call someone who steals? She said, a thief. Look at him. Another command is, thou shalt not murder. And Jesus says, you have murder in your heart. You're a murderer. Have you ever done that? They both said, yes. I said, you've both admitted to me that you're lying, thieving, murderous people at heart. <laughs> they laughed. I said, if you stood before God, would you be innocent or guilty? They said, oh, we'd be guilty. Would you go to heaven or hell? They said, oh, we'd go to heaven. I said, well, why is that? And they said, well, she goes, well, when I was in a youth group, I went forward one day at a church, and I prayed for Jesus to forgive me. And he said, well, I went to a young life camp, and I did that. I said, that's great. Well, let me tell you this. When I ask you that question, you didn't bring up Jesus. You brought up your trusting in yourself. You brought up you thought you shouldn't go to heaven. Why is that? I said, ah. they said, well, what came out was, well, we never think of Jesus. I said, well, do you attend church? Oh, we, we don't know the last time we've gone to church. Do you read your Bible? We're not even sure where our Bible is. Do you pray? Well, no, we, we, we don't pray together. And I looked at him, I said, your life shows nothing that shows that you know Jesus Christ, but you're trusting in something that you did once is going to get you to heaven. But what I'm telling you is your actions show me that you don't know Jesus. Do you know people like that? Who claim to know God but deny Him by their actions. See, there's a group of people Jesus talks about that bear no fruit. It's not what you know. In America, in church, we think that if we've heard something, we know it. It's not that you've heard it. It's if you're walking in it. So Jesus talks about glorifying God. There is a group of people that bear no fruit. But there's another group of people that bear fruit, but they're being pruned to bear more fruit. And that they know Jesus Christ. They have a relationship with Him. And it goes on to say in John 15 that every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes to make it want to bear more fruit. As John the Baptist said, is that what He must increase and I must decrease. It's an aspect where you grow in your love with Jesus Christ. It's not a one-time decision that you make, which I made on August 7th, 1977. But it's a decision that I make daily, and He's changed me. An unexamined life is not worth living. Can you look at how God has changed you in your walk with Him? Do you love Him more now than you did before? And you realize when trials and persecution happen, it doesn't take away your faith, it reveals it. But when trial and persecution happens... It helps me to realize that everything that happens in my life happens for a reason. It's for the glory of God to make me know Him more and to make Him known. That has helped me endure everything. Matter of fact, if you've got some years like I do, Kierkegaard said this, that life is lived forward but understood backwards. You can look back in your life and you can see what God's done through the trials, through the persecution, through the hardships, for what reason? to know him better. Young people, you're not there yet. The trials you're going through now for a purpose, to know him. And I can look back and I can see it in my life. Matter of fact, there are things that God uses in our life to make us, to prune us, 
to change us. In, in the parable of that, you, you, you know this parable. In Luke 13, 6 and 9, Jesus said this parable. He said this, and he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. See, God is a vine dresser. He's pruning us for what reason? Not for our happiness, not for our riches, but for what? For his glory, that we would bear much fruit. Now, I lived in Florida for 12 years, Jacksonville, Florida. It actually had some water damage with the recent hurricane this week. I'd much rather have that than snow, I guess. But anyway, I, I live here, and we lived next to Al and Debbie for years, and he was my worship leader at our church. And I remember them telling the story. They had a citrus tree in their backyard when they bought the house, and for two years, nothing happened to it. It didn't grow, about as tall as this. And they finally got tired of it, and he said, we're just going to dig it up, and we're going to put a new one in. When they dug it up, guess what they found? It was planted in the case. <laughs> it was planted in the case. And they're like, oh my goodness. She's saying, Debbie, let's throw it away. And Al goes, let's give it a second chance. He took out the case and he planted it, fertilized it. And that year it grew and it grew. And that years after that, it had produced 800 to 1,000 tangerines every year. Matter of fact, they took some seedlings of it and they planted other tangerine trees. Matter of fact, this is a picture of it. I asked Al to send me a picture of all the tangerines and we used to eat that and uh, it was sweet and great. He called it the second chance tree. You see, God does that same thing. He prunes in our life. He changes us to know him and be honest, to be pruned is hard. It's difficult. We don't like it. Matter of fact, you need others to help you. How are you pruned? It's through the Word of God. You've got to be reading the Word of God. It's through the church family coming and helping you take off layers. I did addiction recovery groups for years of helping guys set free from addiction recovery, helping people as a pastor, discipling, set free from sins to grow in the Word of God. Matter of fact, remember when Lazarus was raised from the dead, Remember, he's in the tomb for three days. Jesus came and he raised him from the dead. In, this, in Luke, John chapter 11, 43 to 44, it says this. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. This is G Jesus saying this. Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen strips. His face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to the others, what did he say to them? Unbind him and let him go. So just picture it. Lazarus was like this, bound. He must have been hopping. But he looked at the other disciples, what? Unbind him. Do you grasp that's the purpose of the church? God uses his church to unbind us, to unwrap the things, the sins that hold us tight, to be free from it, that we can glorify him. If you are growing in Christ, if God is pruning you, he's doing it for a reason, to glorify his name. And it's good. It's hard, but it's good. We celebrated, my wife and I, 40 years of marriage this summer. Um, 
And I first, when we were dating, I looked at her. I was at Indiana University. She was at Purdue University. And my kind of first date was, I've got a call to ministry. And if you want to go on a date, you're going to go into ministry with me if we get married. How's that for an opening line? <laughs> Somehow, she was blinded by me. And uh, we got married. I taught for a couple of years. I served in a church for a year and a half with her. And, and after that, we're going off to seminary to Columbia, South Carolina. We were actually getting ready to move the youth group. I was a youth pastor. They helped us fill up this U-Haul van and I was driving the van and she was driving our car. All the kids leave. I'm in the van getting ready to drive and she got out of the car and she came and knocked on my window. We're ready to leave our apartment in Bloomington, go to Columbia, South Carolina. And I always remember this. She looked at me and said, you know, honey, when we got engaged, I promised you I'd go to seminary with you and I'm fulfilling that promise. But I just want you to know, after serving in a church with you for a year and a half, if your character doesn't change, I'm never setting foot in a church with you on staff again. And she went and got in her car. I rolled up my window and I prayed to God, God, I think this is an important conversation, <laughs> but I have no idea what she's talking about. Two years of seminary and working on our marriage, I looked at her and I said, honey, I feel God as I was graduating is calling me to Atlantic Beach, Florida to be assistant pastor at this church. What do you think? Remembering a conversation we had two years before. And she goes, well, honey, I, with that church, I think you're ready for assistant pastor and I'll go to that church. I think you're ready for this. But you're not ready for a senior pastor yet. And I looked at her thinking, I, I think this is an important conversation and I'm not sure what she's saying, but okay. So we took that and we had a fruitful ministry and after uh, eight years, I came to her again and I said, I, I feel God's calling me to be a senior pastor on the mission field, what do you think? She goes, I'll go wherever God tells you to go. A year and a half ago, I came to her again. Honey, I, I feel God's led me to retire from the pastor. He's leading me to retire from teaching. I've just founded Go and Tell Ministries. It's a nonprofit. I raise support to do that. It's February 2021. I said, I'm going to retire from teaching in May. I'll get paid through August. My goal is I'm going to raise support as a missionary and I'm going to serve God full time with Go and Tell Ministries and I haven't raised a dime yet. What do you think? And I figured this was going to be a year conversation. She looked at me and says, uh, you were made for this. I said, you did hear the point that I haven't raised a dime yet, right? And our salary is going to be based on me raising support. Honey, you were made for this. That summer, we spent 100 days raising support last summer. And God raised 100% support. And I'm traveling the nation, training people to share the gospel and make disciples not only here but overseas. And in 40 years, I'd have to say, wow, my wife has really changed. <laughs> God has used my wife to prune me and to change me, and I love Jesus more than ever. And I love her more than ever. And you see, God will use people in your life to prune you and to change you within the church, within your family, within their situations for one reason, not for your happiness, but for his glory, that you'll bear much fruit. But not only that, he goes, bear much fruit to be pruned. He goes, bear much fruit, you must abide in, in Jesus. He goes on to say in what? In verse 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides 
in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. If you look in John 15, 1 to 11, 11 times Jesus talks about abiding in him. Abiding in him or another translation, remaining in him. I like to use the term delighting in him. What does that mean? It's not a one-time decision you made at an altar and then it stops. It means abiding in Him, a continuing. It's not a single act. It's an ongoing action that you walk with Jesus daily throughout the day. It's a constant devotion to growing in love with Jesus that if you abide in Him, that if you walk in Him and all that you do, you're going to bear much fruit. Because apart from Him, you literally cannot do nothing. And he uses a picture of the vine. If the vine's not, if the branch is not connected to the vine, there, it's not going to bear fruit. There's nothing in and itself that it can do it. It's only through the vine. It's only through your walk with Jesus. Are you abiding in Him? You know, abide in Him means we talked yesterday. Are you in the Word of God? Are you reading the Word of God daily to meet Jesus? Are you memorizing the Word of God? Blaise Pascal said this 500 years ago. The chief problem of man is they can't be quiet in their own room. If that was true 500 years ago, my goodness, how true it is today with an iPhone. Can you be still and pray and be abide in Jesus? Can you be still and read the word to delight in him? Matter of fact, the psalmist says that, but... He says this, but his delight is what is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. You see, unless you're in the word meeting him, you're not, you're not abiding in him. Unless you're praying, crying out for others, praying for the lost by name, praying for other people, walking with Jesus with his eyes and his perspective to glorify him, to reach others for Jesus Christ, you're, you won't grow in love with him. You see, it's more than having that experience. It's, it's, it's knowing him. It's loving God. Now, we were sharing grand, grand babies, pictures, granddaughters. I'm at the great age where I've got two granddaughters and my oldest, Julie, I can remember uh, she was around 15 or 16. And all my kids, I praise God, all my kids are believers. They're all married. They all support me financially in ministry. They love each other. But Julie was 15 or 16. She just went on a, a camp, a whitewater ministry camping trip. This is when I pastored a Christian Mission Alliance church, Alliance Community Church, and had two or 300 kids go to this camp. And she came back from the camp. I was in my basement studying, and she actually came and sat on my lap. And as a dad, as a 15-year-old, she didn't do that very often. And I liked it. She sat on my lap, had her head right there. It was, Daddy, I just got a question about what happened at camp this week. I, don't, I, I got a question. I go, what is it, honey? She goes, the, the camp was incredible, and the whitewater trip was fun, but we would have worship at night. We'd have a big bonfire, and everyone would singing and worship. And on Monday and Tuesday night, Dad, the presence of God was overwhelming. I sensed him. I tasted him. What you talk about. I tasted and, and saw that the Lord is good. And I was worshiping him. And, and I go, oh, honey, that's good. But, Daddy, Wednesday and Thursday night, we're having 
worship around the campfire and I'm looking at other people and I can see that they're sensing God's presence and I'm not. I'm not feeling it, Dad. She goes, what's wrong? I go, oh, honey, I can't believe you're learning this and God's teaching you this right now. I didn't learn this till I was in my 30s. And she looked at me and goes, oh, Dad, thanks. What am I learning? <laughs> honey, you see, when you grow in Jesus, God's presence is going to fall on you and you're going to enjoy it. And it's sweet. But he's going to take it away, honey. Because he doesn't want you to worship the experience. He wants you to worship him. And when he took it away from you on Wednesday and Thursday night, were you worshiping him? She goes, yeah, I was praising him because you knew who he was. Jesus is teaching you this truth right now, honey. That you don't worship experience, you worship him. And he's going to come in his power and he's going to bless you with his presence. And you're going to enjoy it and he's going to take it away. Because he doesn't want you to worship experience. He wants you to know him. And then he's going to empower you later. Honey, I didn't learn that till I was 30. And my daughter just cried in my arms. See, God's going to prune you to know him. And it's a continual growth. To know him, to not worship experiences. Do you know people? In Fort Wayne, this is horrible. People travel around, they go to different churches for experiences all the time. But I don't know if they know him. I don't know if they're worshiping Jesus. You see, if you're knowing Jesus, an unexamined life's not worth living. You're going to examine your life and you're going to know, you're going to see your character. Your character is going to be what? It's going to be the fruit of the Spirit. You know the text about the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passion and its desires. You're going to see the character, the fruit of the Spirit grow in your life. The people are going to see the love of Christ through you, the joy, the peace. It's going to flow through. Not only that, you're going to see your conduct, the fruit of service. You're going to crucify yourself, that you're going to flee from sin and drawn to righteousness. You're going to see God free you from sins that held you in the past. He's going to free you. He's going to convict you. He's going to change you. He's never done in your life. And you're going to see that He's going to equip you with competency. For what reason? For His glory. I go around and I share with churches of how to share the gospel because a recent survey said 66% of Christians in all churches in America have no tool to share the gospel, meaning if someone would call them and say, I'm dying, get me right with Jesus, they don't know how to do it. You see, if you're growing in Christ, God's going to prune you and He's going to equip you that your character is going to change through the fruit of the Spirit. Your conduct is going to change in holiness. Your competency is going to change that you're going to be serving Him and professing the gospel. You're growing continually to serve God. Is God working in your life? He's never done. <laughs> See, fruit is the result of being, abiding in the vine. So many Christians just want fruit to come. And it doesn't happen unless you're in love with Jesus and you abide in Him. Are you walking with Him? And if you're walking with Him, He's going to constantly change you. And it goes on to say, as Jesus closed here, John 15, 8. By this, 
My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. See, you have those that bear no fruit. You look at their life. It does not correlate with what they say. We have those that have fruit and God's pruning and changing. God's pruning and helping you abide in Jesus. And then at the end, to bear not only fruit, but what? To bear much fruit. I was sharing with a couple I got with earlier in the year. The wife is a nurse, works on weekends. They have four kids, a husband. They both kind of profess faith. The wife really wanted to get with me to meet with her husband because he wouldn't take the kids to church. He wouldn't read the Bible with them, wouldn't pray. He said he's a believer, but no actions that he was. So we met and, uh, over nachos at a Mexican restaurant because I love nachos. And, and we're talking, we're sharing, and I thought it was going to be a long time for me to get to know him. But we opened up, and again, and I asked his church background. He had some church background, but he wasn't going to church, wasn't interested. I asked a spiritual question. If you stood before God and you said, why should I let you have a wall? Would you say? He gave a good works answer. He admitted to me. I said, have you ever lied? Yes. Have you ever stolen? Yes. Have you ever lusted? Yes. He admitted to me he was lying, thieving, adulterous person at heart. He admitted to me he was guilty before God. He admitted to me as I asked him, would you go to heaven or hell, that he was going to hell. And as we talked, I said, you know what God's done for you? So you don't have to go to hell. I have a relationship with him right now. And he kind of knew. And I explained the gospel to him. And I said, you need to repent and profess faith in Jesus. And I'm like, I'm giving this to you right now, but this is your gift. But you haven't taken it yet. The gift's right there. You need to take it and repent. And I said, you, you, you tell me you love your kids, right? Yeah. And you tell me they're the most important thing in your life, right? Yeah. And you've just told me that you do believe that there's a heaven and hell. You take your kids to dance class. You help them with your education. You don't take them to church. You don't read the Bible with them. You know there's a heaven and hell and your kids don't know Jesus right now. And you're telling me you're okay with that? All of a sudden, he wasn't hungry for the nachos. I said, let's do this. I want to teach you how to read the Bible. I want to teach you how to pray. Why don't we start getting together for coffee and let me teach you how to lead your kids to faith. He said, okay. So we've been getting together. You know what? He goes to church every Sunday. He'll be there right now. He prays every night with his kids. He reads the Bible every day with the kids, the New Testament. He's praying with his wife every day. And so after we've got together three or four times and we've been going through this Bible study, he, I go, I, I know you're a believer. And he goes, well, why do you say that? You kind of were kind of harsh on me. I said, well, tell me about that. He goes, oh, yeah, after we got together that night, I went home and I thought, oh, my goodness, I am going to hell. Oh, my goodness, my kids don't know Jesus. And if they don't know Jesus, they're going to hell. I said, well, what did you do? Well, I repented. You said I could do it at home. <laughs> and I said, I know you did. Well, how do you know I did? Because every time we've been getting together, you tell me what you've read in the Bible. Your wife's telling me you're praying with her. Your kids, you're praying with them. You're reading the scripture. I see the fruit in your life. I know you know Jesus now. <laughs> you see, that, that's what happens when you grow in love with Jesus. It's going to bear much fruit. And they're excited they're going to have another baby. Just found out. You know, when Jesus looked at Lazarus, what did he say about Lazarus when he was dying? He told his disciples that Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may glorify through it. You see, it wasn't about bringing Lazarus back to life that he would have his best life now. It was bringing Lazarus back to life 
that God would be glorified in his life. Matter of fact, if you read the text, they decided to try and kill Lazarus. Why? Because so many people were coming to faith because of his story. That's what the parable of the sower talks about, bearing much fruit. It goes on to say, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, another 30. That if you're growing in Christ, if you're abiding in Jesus, as he's pruning you to change in holiness, you're going to bear much fruit by the fruit of the Spirit, by your conduct, by salvations of others, by your ministry, you're going to bear much fruit. <laughs> Yesterday, we, we had a great workshop. I'm so grateful to have me come teach a workshop. And hopefully, again, you'll follow up the Great Commission video series for accountability of praying for the law, sharing the gospel. But Ken, we were, he was asking me to go out for lunch. And, and at first, I was afraid he was going to cook for me. And I was obviously too busy <laughs> for that. Uh, but no, I, I said, I've got plans. Yesterday was uh, the third anniversary of my dad's passing. His dad and I was very close. He came to faith later in life. And he's buried in Ellisville, Indiana. So I took the back roads, 231 to 46. I went to the Ellisville Cemetery. And part of my family, you know, a lot of times people I see you as a pastor, you must have grew up in the church. I didn't. My parents never went to church. They never took me to church. It was through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. That I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And my parents uh, later in life uh, came to faith. And matter of fact, when I was being ordained in my church in Florida, they came along to that ordination service with my aunt. And my Aunt Nancy, who I talked with yesterday, came up to me after that service back in the 90s when I was ordained. And she goes, do you know, why did you quote Psalm 1914 before you? Preach. You notice I prayed that before I preach. For some reason, I've been praying that ever since I've been a pastor. I said, I don't know really why I started this. I just did. She goes, well, your grandfather, Delmer, when he accepted Christ, after he accepted Christ, he became a deacon, an elder in the church. He prayed that before every devotion, every day with our family, and he prayed it at church every day. And with tears in her eyes, she goes, it made me think of your, your grandfather. You know, what's history about my grandfather is this. He died when I was two. We have no picture of me with my grandfather, Delmer. I have a picture of him, but none of us together. And my aunt at that day told me a story. She said, uh, back in the Depression, he was laid off of his job. They lived in Ellisville, and my family didn't have anything. They didn't have anything. They had an outhouse in the 30s. My dad was five or six and was very sick and was dying. And the family had no money to take him to the doctor. And Ori Criswell was a deacon. Ori Crismore was a deacon at the Ellisville Christian Church. He went to my grandfather, Delmer, and he got his car and he took my dad to the hospital. He, the church paid for it and saved my dad's life. Because of that, my grandfather, Delmer, professed faith in Jesus and also his, my grandmother, Anna, who died before I was born. What's interesting about that, when I went to the cemetery yesterday, I went and my, my grandfather's buried here and years ago he bought some different plots for five of his kids and my dad's on the end and I put trinkets and flowers for all the grand for all the grave sites, but I also put a trinket on this one. You see, my, 
my dad is, my grandfather is a Halstead one, but he also bought one more gravesite. He bought Ori Crismore's gravesite. That's the man that saved my dad's life. And that's the man that led my grandfather and my grandmother to faith in Jesus. I always put a special gift at his tombstone. And I always pray on my knees, God, thank you for this man that gave life to my dad, brought salvation to my family, and who I believe, my grandfather, I might, I don't remember it, I'm pretty sure he prayed Psalm 1914 over me every time he held me. Because I want to be like Ori. Ori died several years ago in the 80s. But he's still bearing fruit today. Through who? Me. Psalm 92.14, they still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. I want to be like Ori to bear much fruit. And God's not done with me yet. And I want to tell you, he's not done with you. Because the purpose of life is not happiness, it's not riches, it's not family, it's not fun. The purpose of life, the chief end of man is what? To glorify God by bearing much fruit and by abiding in him or enjoying him forever. Are you delighting in Jesus? <laughs> Are you going through hardship as he's pruning you? Young couples, it's a good thing. Talk to the older couples and we'll tell you what God's teaching you. Because what I've seen in my life, the purpose and the joy in life is knowing Jesus. Nothing compares. And it's bearing much fruit for the glory of my Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. You demonstrated us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who's saying, changing and sifting and pruning us. That, Father, we would live for your glory. May we examine our life today and examine and ask, whom are we living for? I pray that we'll all say we're living for the glory of God by abiding in Jesus and bearing much fruit. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.